You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Eric Partaker. He is UK's CEO of the year. He is also a peak performance expert. We're going to talk to him about the work that he does with leaders, with entrepreneurs. Uh, and we're going to learn a little bit about what he learned in his own journey in his being leader, being entrepreneur, being involved in seven different companies. Eric's had a lot of experience um, at, at lots of different levels. So I always love speaking with people who've been you know, at the corporate level, the entrepreneurial level, the advisor level just kind of working in different capacities at different stages of companies with different leaders. I think it's, it gives you a lot of perspective and a lot of insight. And you can see kind of a lot of patterns and differences. So always fun conversations with that. Eric, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Bruce. Excited to be here. And thanks to everyone who's listening. Grateful for your time. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on. So let's do a little background first before we kind of dig into everything you're doing right now. Give us a little bit of your professional journey. I know you've, you've been involved in different organizations. You've, you know, you've been early stage, later stage, big companies. Give us a little bit of the history and the journey that got you to you know, really focus on this peak performance kind of advisory expert role that you're in now. Yeah, and I think the best, the best way to, to tee that off is just to start with a story, if that's okay. Sure, go for it. So we're going back uh, 10 years and I'm midway through my professional, or a little bit more than midway through my professional career at that point. And um, yeah, everything seems to, seems to be okay. I get on a uh, uh, return flight to London and shortly after the cabin doors close, I feel a lot of pressure starting to build up in my chest. And the plane you know, takes off, starts to ascend, and reaches cruising altitude. And soon that, that pressure has now become pain, like a lot Whoa. of pain. And it's going through my left shoulder, down my left arm. My left arm just goes completely ice cold. I said you know, to my buddy sitting next to me, I was like, Lewis, can you feel my arm? Because this is crazy. And he looks at me and says, geez, it feels like your arm's been hanging in a meat locker. He jumps over, uh, runs to get a stewardess who... Um, asks if there's a doctor on board after she took a look at me. And uh-huh. um, doctor rushes up from the back of the plane, takes my vital signs, and then says, um, we need to land the plane immediately. I think he's having a heart attack. And when you hear those words, you know, 35,000 feet in the air, that's probably like the last place that you want to be hearing words like that. Yeah. And um, the descent felt like an eternity, as you can imagine. I was just terrified that my heart was going to so where, where was the flight? Where you were going from? Where to where? So I was going from Spain to London and flying over France at the time. Okay. All right. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing this in my mind. I thought you were mid-Atlantic there for a second. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that would be that would be a real issue. I was lucky in that sense. So uh, yeah. So yeah, plane goes 
ask you know local airport for uh-huh. uh, an emergency landing. They clear off the runway and um, or shut down the runway um, for the plane you know to to land and uh, yeah. waiting ambulance on the runway. They come on board, take me off, put me into um, the ambulance. They administer nitrates right away to open up okay. the um, arteries and the blood flow to the heart. And then as yeah. the ambulance sped off to the local hospital, I looked up into the eyes of the the French paramedic looking down at me, and I said, "Please, you know, don't let me die." I have a five-year-old son, and you know, in a moment like that, when um, you think it's all over, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you're going to be saying, "Please don't let me die." I got to, you know, clear out my inbox. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not at zero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, so that was. I start here with the story because it allows me to, you know, it's kind of in the middle of my career, but it allows me to kind of yeah. explain and bring a lot of pieces together. So. The reason I got into that situation was I had been obsessed with achievement for my whole life prior to that, but I did it in a very unhealthy way. So I was working 100 plus hour work weeks at McKinsey and Company. You know, was working hard uh, during the early days of Skype, uh, helping scale that up, and we sold it to eBay for four billion dollars, mm-hmm. and then building several of my own businesses and. Um, after that point, obviously, I realized, okay, something needs to change. I mean, I still wanted to perform. When I say peak performance, I simply mean uh, perform, performing at your best in the areas of life that matter most. But that was a switch in the definition because prior to that point, it was just performing at your best work-wise. And I realized, yeah. right, that, well, you're nothing without your health and that and, you know, when your health is compromised, what's the first thing you think about? It's not work. It's your family. Mm-hmm. So I realized that Thereafter, I had to get this three-legged stool right. That peak performance needed to be me showing up and being at my best on the health front, the work front, and the home front. And um, and then that sparked a journey and um, went deep in the whole peak performance space. You know, studied habit formation, neuroscience. Really, really became obsessed with this whole notion of the two percent club. So what I mean is. Abraham Maslow, with his hierarchy of needs, estimated that only about 2% of people operate at their full potential, you know, become all that they're capable of being. And so now these days, my life you know, mission is to widen that pie slice. Like, How can I help others, especially entrepreneurs and leaders, because that's my background. How can I help them gain entry to that 2% club, if you will, but do it in a way that allows them to continuously you know, experience the success that they're after, but without sacrificing their health and relationships. Yeah, no, I, and I love that. I, I can envision a hag of like adding another one percent to that, <laughs> yeah, you know, to that that slice or something like that. I'm curious, like when you when you kind of define performance or when you kind of think about performance, it, how do you kind of contextualize it in the sense if I'm you know I, I could be a high performing entrepreneur, I could also be you know a high performing artist or an opera singer or like the definition of what it means to be great or what it means to be at a high performance level becomes very kind of specific around you know what is the domain or what is the objective that you're trying to achieve? How do you, like how much of this is kind of context specific and how much of this is all peak performers are perform highly in similar ways that is is independent of the domain that you're operating within? Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, and and there's a hierarchy to the answer. So let's take the universal first. So there are absolutely a set of universal principles that top performers share, but this isn't like, they all share, but you know, I'd say you know, 80, 80%. And some yeah. of those things include they have a lot of clarity about what best looks like. 
very intentional about it. And because they're clear about what best looks like for them in their field, you know, in their profession, they are very consciously aware of how close they are from a performance point of view to that best. So, so they have that kind of you know, deep, deep sense of uh, intentionality and a target there. They're good from an output point of view. So you know, top performers will, they're not the type of people who do everything and you know, take a, a machine gun to their focus. They're much more precise and really focus on you know, the 80-20. So they know within their profession or field, what's the 20% of things I should be focusing on that will create 80% of the benefit that I'm seeking. Mm-hmm. And they're very good at kind of you know, zeroing in on that and doing the vital few most important things rather than you know, the more trivial you know, many things. And then another big hallmark is they flip the script when it comes to fear and confidence. So let me explain what I mean. Mm, so yeah. the average, the everyday person thinks that, okay, say, so they'll say something like this. So you're challenging me. You're like, you know, Eric, you know, have you talked to that person yet? You know, have you had that tough conversation? And I'm like, nah, Bruce, you know, I, I want to have the, the chat, but I just got to, I, I got to build up my, you know, my courage and my confidence. Yeah, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And top performers, you know, peak performers, whatever you want to call it, you know, people playing the top of their game, they flip the script there. They don't, they go, no, I don't need courage or confidence to have a difficult conversation. It's by having a difficult conversation that I build courage and confidence. Yeah. So the courage and the difficult conversations become nothing more than gym weights in the gym of life. They're like courage builders, right? So you step into them because you know that that is how you build courage. So that's kind of some universal principles that I see. So and that, then there's this other element though. So how do you measure? So what's the ultimate measurement though? That it's completely subjective. So and think about it this way. I mean, is there any point in me insisting to you over and over and over that you've reached or you're operating at your full potential if you deep down in your heart absolutely do not believe it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and vice versa. If I really believe that I'm at my full potential, but someone else thinks I'm not, does that matter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so ultimately, the best measuring stick with all of this is just the person. But yeah. here's the other shocking thing. So again, Abraham Maslow estimated that only 2% of people are operating at or, you know, have reached or I prefer to use operating. I don't have to give or reach it, but yeah, operating okay. at their full potential. When I've done my own, and it's not in any way empirically validated, but when I've just asked the question, I'd say that's pretty darn close to what I hear back, that it's a really very small minority of people, you know, the entrepreneurs, the leaders, people in my network, not just people I'm coaching, who when I say, are you operating at your full potential? Very, very few say, yes, I am. Almost all say, "Mm, no, I'm not. You know, there's something I could be doing a little bit better here. And it's bigger than just continuous improvement because then you can yeah. say well wouldn't you always say that no they're they're sensing that there's a gap beyond yeah. just the urge to continuously improve i'm curious how much of how much of those people feel like it's the how to ask this they know they're doing well but they think they can do better versus they just fundamentally believe that they're doing excellence i mean I, there's i think there's a, a slight difference in that what is the psychology i guess of a peak performer versus an non-peak performer yeah so i asked the question are you operating at your full potential yeah. no and then there's two kind of camps there's those who they they clearly know 
they clearly know. They're like, I, I'm just not being as productive as I could be, or uh-huh. my, you know, my courage isn't where it, it, it should be, or you know, they, they they just clearly know. And it's and it's typically an area that has been, you know, in their mind the the bane of their existence for you know, <laughs> for as long yeah, as, exactly. as they yeah. can remember, right? So they've they've really done a good job at this point of labeling themselves as broken or faulty within that area, which is a bunch of crap because it can all be undone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then. Uh, then there's another group. They're they're a minority, though. So the other, the, you know, the, the side I've just uh, described of the equation, they're like you know eighty percent of the okay. of, of those. Then there's like twenty percent who are doing a really damn good job, and they're just like I'm stuck, and I just don't I just don't know how to break through. So they can't really identify it, but they just feel like they've plateaued somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and they. It's like you have two different sources of frustration. One is a frustration of I'm never going to beat slay this dragon. And the other is I don't even know where the dragon is to slay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, slightly different camps. Now, I'm not sure I <laughs> answered your question 100 percent there. No, I think I think that's it, because I think yeah. I mean, my experience in working with leaders is that they're the ones that say, look, I know I want to climb this mountain and I know I'm not climbing it as well as I could have. And, and I know there's some things I need to figure out, but I'm, I kind of can see the path. I know what I'm not doing <laughs> or I know how I'm not successful. And then there's the then there's these groups that are. Yeah, I just feel it like I, I'm not sh- quite sure what my mountain is. I don't really know what I'm supposed to be climbing. I feel like I'm climbing hard, but I don't really have the direction yet. You know, it's a one has a path and they're just fi- trying to figure out how to get it, get up it faster. And the other one is I don't even know what my path is. I don't even know what success looks like. Yeah, exactly. And, no. you know, but again, the, the, the thing that everyone shares is this benefit from working on some of those you know, systems or ways of being or, or belief yeah. patterns that I was sharing earlier. And one of the, you know, the big ones, just going back to a phrase that I used earlier, is just around flipping the script. And it, be- it makes life and business really fun because when you get into a situation where you feel like you're stuck or you're, um, something's not moving, it's like often what I like to do is just is literally like flip the words around, you know, like play with the words. So let me mm-hmm. give an example. So I, I gave the example earlier of like the difficult conversation. I need the courage to have the difficult conversation. No, you need you need to have the difficult conversation to build courage. So another good thing is around feeling in action. So a lot of us, if we're honest and we catch ourselves, we will subconsciously say things like, ah, I don't feel like doing this right now. Ooh, or, yeah. Right. Or um, or we will. You know, somebody challenges us and Bruce, well, you know, why haven't you written that book yet? I'm just making stuff up here. <laughs> why haven't you written that book yet? Or, or maybe you're thinking, oh, crap, I, there is a book I want to write. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a book I want to write. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, Bruce, why haven't you written that book yet? And you're like, I haven't really felt like it lately. So uh-huh. this is one I love playing with and flipping the script as well, because amateurs will say they believe feeling precedes action or that you need yeah. a feeling to generate action professionals or peak performers have a lot of fun with this by saying no no no, it's action that generates feeling yeah. and this is so empowering when you really get this when you really embrace this because not only will it make you more productive you know so if you're you know if you're listening right now and you're like oh my gosh yeah i feel there's many times when i'm you know victim to my feeling well then the next time you're feeling not like doing something Flip the script and say, okay, I'm going to choose to start for just five minutes. Take action because the action will generate the feeling that you think is missing. And this is so, so empowerful because suddenly you're in the driver's seat on your emotions and, you know, you're just, yeah, you become unstoppable. There's so many 
what I often say is say there's very few times, and I'm just being brutally honest here. There are very mm-hmm. few times when I wake up, and you might somebody might say, "Well, there's something wrong with you." When I wake up <laughs> and and I look at my day and go, "Oh my God, I can't wait to do absolutely everything today." Mm-hmm. This, you know, that does not call me weird, but that doesn't happen for me, you know, mm-hmm. very often. But I wake up and I'll have some things I feel like doing, some things I don't, but I've trained myself to say, but what does that have to do with it? Whether I feel like you're doing it or not, I just take action, knowing that yeah. the action will generate the feeling. So, and, yeah. you know, I show up, I turn pro, I the amateur feelings, you know, the amateur kind of perspective to, to the side. Yeah, there's a, I, I, I get into discussions on this with all sorts of people about like going to the gym in the mornings and they, they'll tell me, um, yeah, you know, I just I didn't go to the gym because I didn't feel like it when I woke up. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't feel like it? Well, I was kind of tired. I just didn't quite have the energy. I thought it wouldn't be good. I was like, like there is never a morning where I feel like going to the gym. <laughs> but I go to the gym every morning <laughs> because I know I know that 10 minutes into that workout, I'm going to feel better. And by the time I finish that workout, I'm going to have the energy then for the rest of the day. But if I if I make the decision based on how I feel when I wake up, I will never go to the gym. <laughs> you know, it's, it's what I want to feel like after I go to the gym is that's what I focus on. Yeah, yeah completely. And, and yeah. just to follow up on that gym point, I think that's um, it's such a good good example. And that leads to another script that I like to flip, which is around behavior and identity. So a lot of people will say, I need to I need to start behaving in a certain way so I can become a certain person. Mm-hmm. And it's much more powerful, once again, to flip the script and realize that rather than behavior leading to identity, have behavior follow identity. So choose who you want to be. So to mm-hmm. make this like super relevant to my last week, yeah. I bought my seven-year-old a Captain America uh, costume and shield and all that. Uh-huh. And... When I gave him that, do you think I then had to sit with him and be like, all right, okay, so Leo, so now that you have this costume, I need to take you through some Captain America behavioral training. (laughs) 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 Who on earth would ever need to do that with a child? And why don't we need to do that? Because we know from a very young age that identity drives behavior. We don't even really know it, but you know what I mean? We just do it. And yeah. when I when I put the, you know, the cost, when he put the cost to my, he just started behaving like Captain America because behavior follows identity. So mm-hmm. the powerful thing that we can embrace with that is two things. So one is to realize that all of us used to be this way. We used to recognize that we can just pick who we want to be and then our behavior follows suit. So we've all done this. This isn't foreign to anyone listening. You've all done it even, you know, at least as a, as a kid. Uh-huh. And then the second thing, okay, but we're adults now. So how do we um, make use of that? So in my book that I just wrote, The, the Three Alarms, mm-hmm. which um, I'll be offering a free digital copy to everyone listening. Um, awesome. That book. I appreciate um, that. In, yeah. yeah. In my book, The Three Alarms, I share a simple technique that I used, started using years ago, where I've segmented my day into those three pillars that I talked about at the beginning of our chat. So my health, my wealth, and my relationships. Those are like the, the, the three-legged stool. And I think of my day in terms of which segment of my day is those three things. And then if I were to choose a best self identity, me at my best in each of those three areas, 
I've set it up as an alarm to remind me to step into being that version, that superhero version of me to power the most relevant segment of the day. So give me an example. So at 6.30 a.m., and I'm very big into champion and best and all of this. So all of my identities Uh kind of have this like similar language. You can choose whatever you want, though. You can make it a person. So at 6.30 a.m., the first alarm goes off and it says world fitness champion. Because Uh to your point, does a world fitness champion ever even need to feel like going to the gym in the morning? Yeah. Right? Never. You just, World Fitness Champion, that goes off at 6.30 a.m. I see that identity that I've written on my phone as the alarm, and I'm like, boom, okay, that's who's going to the gym. That's who's going to complete the workout. And at 9 a.m., the next one goes off. It says, um, well, when I was a, a CEO, it used to say world's best CEO. Now it just says world's best coach. Just uh-huh. to remind me, well, how would that version of me you know, show up during that segment of the day and, and, and act for my clients? And then the game changer for me is 6.30 p.m. And it says world's best husband and father. And that just prompts the question to, you know, how would the world's best husband and father walk through that door right now? So having the power of identities that mean something to me in each of those three domains and then cueing it from an intentionality point of view you know, on my phone using simple alarms has just helped me show up you know, more strongly in each of those, those three areas. Well, and I, I love that because, so there's an interesting implication in that, like when you're the world's best CEO or the world's best coach, you don't necessarily have to be the world's best father, or that's not what you're focused on at that time. And, and I find that part of the challenge with, especially kind of, you know, situations where they're, they're high pressure, high performance, you're, you're demanding a lot of yourself. There are times when I just need to focus on being a CEO and I'm going to focus on that for the next four, five, six hours. And then when I'm done, I'm done. And then I can focus on them being the world's best dad. But I'm not going to judge myself on being the world's best father and husband while I'm being the world's best CEO because that's not the role I'm in at that point and vice versa. And so when I, when I get home and I'm going to be the world's best husband and father, I need to let that CEO role go. And, and, that, and I may need to have to behave quite differently. <laughs> totally. And, 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 and that could be a challenge. Yeah, yeah. But you're right, because until, until I, because we naturally think about these kind of uh, best self identities, mm-hmm. we're more likely to think about these best self identities with regard to work, but less so with regard to our health or our relationships. But when you actually do this and you remind yourself at the right time of what you said best looks like, so you actually have something to shoot for and measure your behavior against, your reactions against, your helpfulness against, your active listening against, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then you have no choice but when you are feeling or experiencing or others are seeing a gap, you have no choice but to want to close it. And there's something also quite powerful with putting your ass on the line. And for example, your family knows that that's the identity that you chose. And Mm -hmm. they also can say, well, Eric uh, is, uh, or dad, you know, um, is, uh, is this world's best father? Cause, uh, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't feel like it to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> because this is um, this must be world's best father in a really horrible kingdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So you know, being intentional like that, because none of this is about getting perfect. And, yeah. But all of this is about recognizing that as driven entrepreneurs who want to scale and build, then we also have to recognize that that incredible drive, or if you're a leader, you know, or an entrepreneur, whatever, that incredible drive left unchecked creates huge imbalance 
and um, and we're very goal oriented. So mm -hmm. it's just so powerful when you yeah. start choosing goals in these other areas. And not only does it make you feel better and create benefit for those around you, but your work benefits you when you have a sense of pride, knowing that you're doing your best for your family, even if you still make mistakes and that you're doing your best for your health. You show up better. I mean, if this is sports, if we want to maximize performance, and, and it is like sports, you know, business for me is is a game. You know, it's like, yeah. I want to win. I want to score points. Well, any sports coach in the world is going to say, listen, buddy, if you want to maximize your performance on the field, we absolutely have to maximize your performance off the field, too. Yeah. Yeah. How much do you see? Like a, the other interesting thing for me is that it, it starts to force you to actually define some of these things. So when you say, like, okay, well, I'm going to be, you know, world's best dad, world's best husband, it forces you to actually say, well, what are the criteria here? What, what is the measure of success or what does that look like? And in fact, I mean, I've, it's, I've had some really interesting conversations with my wife and my kids, you know, around like, yeah, what does that look like to you? And, and what is it like, what do you care about? and What do you not care about? And once you start doing that, you can really start realizing, oh, these are the things I really need to focus on. And, you know, all this other stuff, which maybe is important to other dads or other kids or other wives, maybe is not important to me in my relationship and my situation. So I'm not going to worry about those things. And I'm going to double down on the things that really matter in this case. Totally. And again, we, we all kind of get from a business point of view that if you want to improve your leadership, the simplest thing to do is to ask those who you lead. What's the one yeah. thing that I could do, which if done would improve my leadership? You know, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll give you the answers. When I'm working with you know, a founder, a CEO, an entrepreneur, I encourage them to do that at home as well with their yeah. partner and with their kids. So rather than have them come up with what's the one thing which if I was more proactive about would you know benefit my relationship with my child or my spouse, ask them, what's the one thing that you could do which would benefit the relationship? And they'll give you the answers. Yeah. And then you just need to do that, you know, yeah. whatever that thing is. Yeah. And oftentimes, it's not nearly as hard as you thought it might be. <laughs> no, it isn't. I, I was, um, I kind of got it wrong with my wife for a good chunk of time thinking yeah. that she wanted, you know, all these quite complex and, uh, you know, we have to do this and that and, yeah. you know, we have to go on these trips and all. And, and she was just like, Eric, I just want like just some more time with you. That's all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? So the answers are, uh, I'll say there's two sides to the coin. So the answers are often not as complicated as we expect. But however, sometimes a lot of people are not prepared to hear the answer. Mm -hmm. Or do the work to get there. I mean, yeah. it's it can be, once you get on that path, you kind of have to then follow through. So Yeah, <laughs> well, you feel jerk. like a real jerk if you've asked the question yeah. and you don't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why I mean, like high performance people, right? That's, you know, they figure out what the goal is, what success looks like, and then they do the work to get there and, you know, and, and defocus everything else that's not going to get them to that, to that point. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I guess in terms of the work that you do these days, I mean, how are you engaging with folks? What does that look like? Who do you work with? How do you help them? Yeah. So um, I work with mostly um, founder CEOs. Um, I do some work with corporates, but mostly founder CEOs. And they tend to be, you know, companies that have sales of somewhere between one and 10 million. And, um, and I help them in three ways. So one is, you know, I work on all three pillars in, in parallel. So one is help them show up as a better version of themselves. So, you know, build a better you, and that's working on all the peak performance stuff. 
help them become a better leader. There's a thing or two I learned about leadership to uh, land that CEO of the year recognition. And then um, yeah. last but not least, help them build a better company. So that's just helping them, you know, being a thought partner, a sounding board on any scaling issues. And yeah. that's um, build a better you, build a better leader, build a better company. But, you know, my favorite quote is Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> and uh, so the real magic for me with coaching someone is all of the organic stuff that comes up that we couldn't have expected and yeah. then just staying anti-fragile through that process whereby as in true opposite to you know the word fragile um the things that are unexpected or the challenges you know that happen actually make you stronger and um you know as a result of them yeah um, so yeah excellent if people want to find out more about you the work that you do contact you what's the best way to get that information just head over to my website so eric with the c partaker like it sounds ericpartaker.com and if you like some of the concepts and the stuff that we were talking about in today's show uh, today's show definitely head over because i will have available waiting for you a free digital copy of my book the three alarms that goes into a lot of the the content more deeply and if you're interested in coaching, you can also just uh, contact me through the website. Awesome. I'll make sure that all that information is in the show notes so people can get that. Highly encourage everyone to take up the offer here with Eric. Some great content, great insights from someone who's who's lived it in lots of different ways. Clearly, from hopefully we prevent a few heart attacks yeah. <laughs> on planes. Exactly. Yeah. If, if we can prevent one heart attack on a plane, we've done our job here. Yeah, you uh, got it. But uh, Eric, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thanks very much, Bruce. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.